Thanks, Paul. Uh, my name is Bass, and I'm an alcoholic. Hello, Bass. And by the grace of God, in this program, I got another 24 hours sober. And, and I say that because uh, my last drink was December 11th, 1988. And uh, when, yeah. when, uh, when I got my 30-year chip, it was like, you know, I kind of had this feeling like, yeah, okay, sure, I got 30. And, you know, and I'm, when I'm doing my daily prayer, speaking to God in the morning and that, I, I get this message like, dude, dude, you got one day. <laughs> you know, that's just kind of the message again. Yeah, so ever since then, on my birthday, I request a 24-hour chip, and that's what I carry is a 24-hour chip. Uh, because it reminds me that's how that happened. Um, uh, that's how my life completely changed this program and my higher power um, uh, saved my life and gave me things and done for me what I, I was completely wrecking in my life. Um, I, uh, I was a late bloomer. So I had my uh, first fist fight that drew blood when I was 10. I had my first drink and got drunk that night when I was 12. And, and it was all fear. I just lived in fear. And I had anxiety, a lot of anxiety of, you know, um, that I didn't fit in, um, that I wasn't man enough, that, you know, you would reject me. And, uh, and that night that I took that first drink, it was like, yeah, I can dance, I can talk to the girls, and I am, this, where have you been? And, and uh, so then it went from when I was 13 to 15, stealing liquor out of my grandparents' cabinet every weekend. And, uh, and drinking it by myself, with my friends, it didn't matter. It just made me feel good, so I just drank it. And, uh, and then when I was uh, 16, I, got, I, I broke my leg in three places uh, playing football. And so my weekends got kind of screwed up, you know. I... I yeah, I had a cast from the tip of my toes, that's my pelvis, and for five months. And, uh, but when I left that hospital, the doctors gave me this little brown bottle. It had 90 yellow pills in it, called Percodan. And I'll never forget, uh, I'm home the first night, uh, I'm sitting with my leg and cast propped up, my dad's sitting there, my mom's in his chair, my mom and her cat on the same couch. I am my brothers and sisters on the floor and in the chair. And uh, some place that I never felt comfortable or belonged in. And I had taken two of those and I was like, yeah, where you been, baby? You know, I just, I felt like, yeah, Dad, how are you, Mom? Yeah, I'm good. You know, I, I felt like I'd fit in. 
And uh, so, you know, over the course of five months, they cast, they give you, you know, two or three refills of that stuff. And, uh, and I couldn't drink because I was, I was homebound. And uh, uh, so then uh, when that ended, I was right back to the booze. Every weekend, I, by, by then at 16, I had a fake ID. I could go to a couple places around. I, I'm from Buckeye. You know, there was famous was Combs Market and Arches Grocery, and you could go to the back, and you know, a kid that couldn't even shave could buy a case of Budweiser and a bottle of Spinata. And uh, I did that. Um, <laughs> it'll give you a good headache, man. Fucking give you a headache. Uh, but but all through my life, I. I grew up um, in a Catholic household, so I always believed in God. I just was like, man, God's really busy. He's got to run all this. He's got to watch the plants and the birds and the rain and everything. He doesn't have time for me. But I know he's real. But he just don't have time for me. And... Um, but through my life, drinking, he tried, tried to help me. And, um, and, and I didn't take it till way later. But when I was 17, uh, oh, back up a second. So I grew up in a, uh, in a bunkhouse with 20 men, basically. Uh, all worked hard on a ranch. They drank like men. They fought like men. They smoked like men. They chased women like men. And I was like, that's how you be a man, right? And I just never really fit that mold. And, but I tried all those things. So I had this all screwed up dysfunctional idea of what a man was and what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to be. And uh, from the time I was 12 until, until I was 18, I lived in a camp with three men in the summers uh, in high school. And, you know, I was going to be a man, you know, and that's the way I thought you were a man. You drank, you smoked, you fought, and, you know, you did that stuff. And... Uh, so I, had, I was really screwed up. Um, when I was 17, uh, my, I was driving a two-ton truck with 20,000 pounds of feed in it, just outside of Prescott. And, uh, and if you know those trucks, when you go uphill, they, they slow down a lot. And then when you go downhill, they speed up a lot when you got 30,000 pounds on your truck. Well, I'm going uphill, and there's a car behind me, and he's... He's just, he, he, I'm as far over as I can get. He could pass me easy if he wanted. But he just gets over there and blocks everybody behind me. I'm like, who's this dickhead, you know? And, and, and then I start going downhill, and I start getting speed. He passed me up and start putting his brakes on in front of me. I'm like, he did that, I don't know, four times. And I'm like full-blown road rage. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm... We're, this is it, man. I'm going to whip your ass. So we get to the bottom of the hill. I pull over. 
jump out, and I'm like, yeah, we go. I go to his car, open the door open, he goes, boom. Fucking 357, like right there, and that thing looks bigger than that clock when you look at it like that. <laughs> and, and, uh, oh, and so I ran in the gas station, told the guy, call the cops, this crazy son of a bitch, you know. <laughs> and and uh, the cops come, and they arrest him, and they do this shit. But, but God was trying to help me. He basically saved my life that, that day. Because that guy, when he's had it, and he's yelling at me, you effing punk, I'm going to kill you. And punk, and he's like that, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm dead. I'm thinking I'm, I'm dead. And he turns to his car, and that's what I ran, and that was the deal. So that's the first time in in this story that you'll hear that God tried to help me, and there's more. Then, then uh, when, when I was 18, alcohol hurt me really, really bad, really bad. And uh, um, two friends of mine. Um, Mark and Pat and I were going to go deer hunting. We're loading up all our stuff for about two, three hours, drinking. You know, we put our ice chests, our guns, our sleeping bags, our tent, our food, you know, drinking. And we leave late, like, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night to drive up north to go deer hunting. And uh, I fall asleep. I had a three-foot cement kind of bridge abutment. The truck rolled end over end once and sideways twice. Me and uh, Pat are ejected. Uh, this is 1973. There's, we don't wear seat belts. And, uh, and Mark, it, it, the, the, the crash was so violent that it ripped the top of my cab open like a tomato can. And he didn't quite get ejected. He got just over the top of the windshield, and when one of those rolls happened, Mark got, Mark got smashed and killed, a friend of mine. Um, alcohol hurt me bad. I, uh, I remember being in the hospital. They took my blood to, to, to the cops did, right, to see if whatever, you're drunk or whatever. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm in there thinking I ain't drinking. I'm drinking again. I'm not drinking again. I'm not drinking again. That's one I think I'm, I'm going to jail. <clears throat> but a cop comes in the next day and says, we got to take your blood again because we lost that other vial. Well, I'm like, well, I am drunk now. And, uh, you know, that, that's in my view. That's another time God <laughs> stepped in. He saved my life in that wreck. And, and then, you know, somehow the blood vial gets lost and I don't get charged with manslaughter. So, so I, alcohol has hurt me really bad. I don't want to drink. Um, my dad is so furious with me over this that uh, we just had loggerheads. We parted ways. I went and moved in with an uncle of mine in Casa Grande and uh, went to work. I had... I was going to college at that time. Um, so obviously then that semester, that was the, it was in, I'll never forget the day, November 2nd, 1973. And uh, 
and so I worked, was working for him, and and I'm I'm not going to drink, you know. And and there's my, I have a big family in Casa Grande, and they're all partying and that. And I, I'm I'm not going to drink, right? I'm, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. Well, I drink. Um, I also have you know weed and whatever else, and you know, and I do that. Um, and so I go along in my career. Uh, I go to college. That becomes a complete substance buffet between whatever kind of liquor you want, whatever kind of substance you want, and and do that. The one thing that happened after that wreck is it didn't stop me from drinking. My disease had me so by the you know what that even with all that pain and all that hurt, I couldn't stop drinking. And uh, so when I got to college and you know and all this other stuff start, starts coming in, um, I realize I can't control my drinking. I don't drink like John and Joe and Jim. I, I don't drink like them. I don't like that. I got to find something I can control. So I started on this journey of trying to find a substance I could control. And I went through them all. And the first time you do pick out what, you know, cocaine, codeine, whatever it is, it's like, oh, yeah. I, I got that first high again, right? That first time drunk again. And I was like, yeah, this is good. I'm going to learn to control this. Yeah. Boom. You know, three months, six months, pick it out. Later, I'm, okay, I, I, I lost control on that. Let, let's try this. And, and you know, I tried that one. Say, I did that for four years. And actually, in college. And then I did it for more years afterwards. So I came home from um, college and uh, got married, went to work, you know, bounced around, drinking, smoking, uh, doing that, doing some, you know, other substances now and then. And, uh, and it just, I was just getting by. I still felt fearful discontent, self-pity, all that stuff. I, I didn't belong. I was inadequate. Um, and, and then um, at 30 years old, uh, I, I had a business. I had a partner, and he stole a bunch of money from us. And, well, there were three of us, but he, he stole the money. And um, in the meantime, now I've discovered this thing called methamphetamine, which um, um, I have to tell you today, I am actually grateful for because it took me to the bottom fast, fast. And, and if it wasn't for it, I might still be out there trying to drink and smoke and, and do it. But uh, I confronted the partner. He hit me. We had a fist fight. 
Um, uh, and then uh, his wife files charges on me. Go to the JP and Buckeye. He dismisses it. It's a fist fight. And that's where I learned some key legal language. Okay, it's called with prejudice or without prejudice. <laughs> so if you ever are in the legal world like that, you want them to dismiss it with prejudice. They can't bring it up again. I didn't know the difference. The judge dismissed it without prejudice. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm good. I went and got drunk. You know, um, then, you know, after a bit, uh, his wife found a prosecutor in South Phoenix that would prosecute the case. Uh, they charged me with uh, class three felony assault with intent to cause physical harm. Uh, if found guilty, mandatory seven years in prison. Fist fight. I've been in a lot of fist fights, and and I just, you know, was like, what, how? But I, I was so messed up that I was in the courthouse bathroom snorting meth while I'm getting ready to go to court. My disease has got me by the throat, and um, that got pleaded down. I got a year's probation. I stayed clean, nose clean, not, well, I was supposed to be alcohol and drug clean, but back then they didn't, um, they didn't make you do the, the pee tests. Uh, they, at least they didn't with me. And uh, if they did, I'd be in jail because I was drinking and doing all that shit. But I wasn't fighting. I, I just, uh, I wasn't fighting. So, the, so I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing good, man. I, I ain't fighting, you know, drunk, no stone, whatever. Um, the, uh, that's the third time that I know God was there saying, dude, I'm giving you a chance. Here I am. I'm giving you a chance. Um, so plead that down. I go on. And then uh, from 30 to 32, uh, in that time frame, my immediate family, well, excuse me, my extended family, my mother, my father, all my brothers and sisters filed orders of protection on me. I couldn't be near them. I was crazier than shit. Um, Due to some events and fist fights with my brother and others, and uh, and and uh, they did that, uh, and then it came to a point where my wife left with my four children, and you know I I didn't stop drinking when Mark died, I didn't stop drinking when when I had the truck the truck wreck, I didn't stop drinking when I had that fist fight and I'm in court. And I didn't stop drinking when my family left me, my wife left me, I lost my business. I never stopped drinking. I, it had me by the throat. So uh, it was, I don't know, it was somewhere in the vicinity of three or four months that my, my wife and, and kids had left. 
and uh, I'm out there, and I'm, I'm really wanting uh, to, to to get get fit. And so I, I make a run to San Diego, and because a guy told me, oh, you know, here's the address, here's the house, I'll be there. Da, 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 da. I, I pull in there. It's about nine o'clock at night. I pull on the street, two houses down, and I just park there. You know, I, I, meth. Have, I, I was at a point in using meth that I was in psychosis, just about. And so I'm sitting in my chair, I'm or my car, truck. You know, I'm pretty sure I'm nearly psychotic. And all of a sudden, eight cop cars come and just pull right in the yard and on the street. And I'm like, and they got a rammer and they break the door down in the house that I was going to go in. And uh, and there's you know yelling at him come out and do this and that and there's two cops left on the street and I'm just sitting in my truck and I'm like and I'm near psychotic and and I'm like okay um, do I get out of my truck and run do I try to drive away you know what do I do and and uh, I you know God forbid I ever pray right you know you ain't gonna do that. So I, I, I start and I take off and, and, and I try not to look at the policeman who's on the street, but I have to kind of go, you know, hi. And I drive 120 miles an hour all the way back to between Gila Bend and Buckeye, pretty much. I had to slow down a few times. But, um, and there was a guy that lived out in the desert out there that, that – uh, uh, owed me some money, and I used to. He was a dealer, and I pull out there. It's it's several miles off Highway 85, and I pull out there, and there's nobody there. And I'm like, "Well, you owe me some money." So I just think, you know, I'll collect a few of your things, and you know, it'll help you pay your debt to me. So I kick the door in, I go in, I hear the TV and stereo and all this shit. I put it on the porch and and uh and over by the highway two miles away I see lights. I'm like, oh shit. Mind you, I'm near psychotic. So I jump in my truck, I leave the lights off, I back up the other perpendicular road and just back up and back up and back up and then I'm waiting until that comes right up to about the house. I turn my lights on and I drive in. Just like, hey, we're getting here at the same time. You know, hey. Yeah. We pull up there. Hey, Jim, how you doing? He goes, somebody's in my house. He pulls out a gun. I said, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, look. You know, somebody's all the shit's on the porch. And uh, I said, wow, yeah, look. look. And uh, <clears throat> so he said, come on, let's go in there. I'm psychotic. I have a 45 long coat. It's in my waistband. And uh, and I'm thinking, there ain't nobody in this house. I know that. So we start going in and, and start going around and turn the light on in the room and he goes in. I'm behind him. Um, 
Then we go into another room, turn the light on, he's in, you know, like this. I'm behind him. There's two rooms left in the house. And my mind's going, uh, when we get to that last room, and he sees that nobody's in here, but I'm the only one that's here, um, there's likely to be a gun battle. And we're walking down the hallway, the last two rooms. I got my 45 long coat hooked up. He's right in front of me. It's, you know, three feet behind his head. And what I say is the devil is on my shoulder. And he's going, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. And all I can say is this is another moment God intervened for me because I don't know how or what, but I just felt this something on my shoulder spin me around. I put my pistol in my pants. I jumped in my truck. I drove to a lady's house who was a mother of a friend of mine who's in the program. It's been in about 10 years and had been telling me for five, um, one of these days you and Terry are going to need some help. And if you do, come see me. I drove to her house that night. She took me to my first meeting, and uh, uh, I was in treatment 10 days later. So uh, that, that, that's what it was like and kind of what, what happened. The, I, was, I was driven totally by fear, um, uh, which led to resentment which led to anger, which led to me acting out with violence, whatever, violence, fists and that. And um, uh, that ruled my life. That just ruled my life. And, and then in between those moments where I'd act out fear, resentment, anger, whatever, I'd have self-pity. Right? Oh, poor me, you know, what happened? Look at that, that guy screwed me over. You know, just beat the shit out of me, screw me over, right? It's fucking crazy. And um, so I went to treatment. Uh, mind you, all that wreckage is still there. My family's still have nothing doing. My wife and kids are not there. My business is gone. And I, I remember walking into treatment, and, and uh, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was at that, that point that you just read, which talks about that utterly incomprehensible demoralization. That was there. And I was scared because I didn't know what was in there. All I knew was I did not, I could not go back. And uh, about two, three weeks in, uh, to that, um, I felt better than I ever had in my life. I started working the steps in there. I st had started a relationship. Was talking to God and praying every night. And uh, I got out. I, I I still had a home. I well, I had it. I mean, it was there, but still a bunch of money on it. Right, I didn't own it. Just bank owned it. I just paid them. Uh, but all alone, nobody, 
I have nobody. And uh, that was okay. Because I was sober. I was okay. I didn't, my family are gone, my wife, but man, I was okay because I was sober and I had a relationship with God. And uh, this program was there for me. I could go to a meeting every night. I could go twice a day. I could do that. My life was great. I was broke, but it was good. And uh, about my third day home, I, 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 was, I, I went for a walk. And uh, I'm like, man, I, I'm feeling something. I, I, don't, I never felt before. And uh, I, I stop, and I'm, you know, I'm asking, talking, I'm praying to God. I'm God, I'm feeling something that I, I don't know what it is. You know what? You know, help me. And I walk a little more, and pretty soon it, it tells me, he said, "Dude, that's called serenity." And that's the first time. In my life, 32 years, I ever felt serenity. And I have felt it a whole lot since then. And, uh, and, and it's the feeling I like most now. And, uh, uh, and I don't always get to decide that, but when I work these steps and I go to meetings and I keep my relationship with my higher power, I get it. And uh, so, so today, after all that, living 32 years with nothing but fear, anxiety, all that, now I have serenity, acceptance, I got surrender, and most importantly, I got God's will. I let God's will run my life. I have to do the footwork, but I give it to him. And when I have a bad feeling, I go through it and ask God, help me with this. Take it away. Uh, what do I do? When I have, uh, you know, those 150 squirrels up there start running around like that everywhere, I pray to God. I say, God, calm that down, please. Help me calm that down. And usually I'll get a message. He'll say, go read the big book. You know, that, that is the most message I get when those squirrels run. I ask God, what do I do? Read the big book. And I do that. So, um, so today, um, God did for me what I couldn't do through all that pain and suffering and friends dying and losing your family and everything else. I couldn't stop drinking. And uh, I asked God to remove the Compulsion to drink, he has, and uh, for that, I'm eternally grateful to this program because it's what helped keep it going, uh, and with my higher power. So I have one last thing I want to read. It was it's it's. I pray every morning and meditate and read every morning, and, and today I read something, and this is what I read, and it is me. It is me. It may be some of you, but I know it's me. It says, we are transported into unfamiliar worlds in this program by ideas that sometimes confound our mind. In the spiritual realms, we learn things 
we didn't learn anywhere else. And gradually, they bring us peace. We can decide with our will to follow a spiritual direction, to turn our life and will over to the care of God. We cannot control what God will do with them. When we learn that part of our problem was trying too hard, being too self-sufficient, or being too controlling, our old ways tell us to try harder to control that. But then we are only doing more of the same old thing. We learn that after making our decision, our higher power takes over. Now it is possible to be released from our own trying, to move beyond our own efforts by falling into the caring hand of God. I must give this program first priority in my life. First priority. Stay sober. Remembering my spiritual progress comes as a gift, not an achievement. And with that, thank you. Thank you, Dad.